And uh, in this uh, exhortation here of brotherly love, uh, there's a whole list of helps for us. Firstly, Philadelphos. Uh, that's the word here. Just one word in the Greek language. Philadelphos. One word. Brotherly love. It's a great, a great word, but it's a better blessing in the lives of God's people. And we would all want to be in a church that is exercising brotherly love. I don't think we would want to be in a church where it is absent completely. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and it is a great privilege to bring the gospel to you today. And I pray that you will stay tuned with us as we later come to our message on Christian unity, what ought to be the brotherly love of Christians within the Lord's church. And we'll be looking at that great Bible word, Philadelphos, or brotherly love. We come also today to look at the subject of prayer, and this is the most difficult part of real Christianity, because man would rather pay than pray. This is the subject that is much talked about, but so little practiced, especially when so much of religious activity is only vain repetition or a show before men. Then the new thing is mindfulness after Buddhist meditation. For some religions, the call to prayer is more cultural than heart cries to the living and personal God of heaven. It is the subject that divides so many who profess to follow the Lord, and it is the practice that marks the true disciple. He will be asking as these disciples to the Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Communion with God in the blessedness of prayer is the essence of real Bible Christianity. It was the first thing that marked the Apostle Paul's conversion. It was said of him, Behold, he prayeth. Now, there are three basic parts to the Lord's Prayer. We are to pray for daily needs, our daily bread, for daily mercies, the forgiveness of sin, and about daily dangers, deliver us from evil. Dr. J.C. Ryle has rightly stated that the man is poor who does not recognize his need of these three things, and the man is rich who makes them his daily focus in his praying to God. The Lord's Prayer is like the giving of the Ten Commandments. It was twice given to men. One is recorded in Matthew 6, and once here in Luke 11. But they are two different situations. They are not a, a, a copy of one another. The form and words are similar, but not totally the same, to show us that prayer is not a matter of form. It's not a matter of saying your prayers or rehearsing certain words or formulas. Today we will enter into this school of prayer and trust the Lord to teach us how to pray. There is no exercise that will make you richer spiritually. There is no practice in daily life that will satisfy your soul more so than to know how to really pray. We begin where the Lord began, by assuming 
that it is our daily habit to pray. There seemed to be no need to teach that all men should pray. The Lord Jesus assumed that they were asking. Now, here is a searching question for us. Do you pray? This is not for the few, but for every one of God's children who may call God their Father. Now, there is power in prayer for the Christian. There's power in the example in prayer. Jesus gave us a great example, and prayer requires the power of example. The thing that stirred up one of the disciples to pray was the personal prayer life of the Lord. Oh, what must it have been to be there, to just sit at Jesus' feet and to learn as he interceded, communed with his heavenly Father. Praying people beget praying people. How sad for a new Christian to go to church where there is no prayer meeting. We all learn to pray from the cries and sighs of God's saints who are well-schooled in the intercessory prayer. Prayer is a living, organic social grace. It is the corporate, agreed cries of God's people who are like-minded in their desire after God. So we learn here that prayer has to be taught, teach us to pray. The Lord did not have his disciples pray as he prayed. He gave them petitions, and some of them he did not pray because he never needed to ask for the forgiveness of sins. He never did sin. Now here in this prayer we learn that Christians need to pray daily for the forgiveness of sins. It's true that we are redeemed under the blood, saved, justified, but each and every day we need the cleansing power of Jesus' precious blood. And those who object to the idea that Christians should pray every day for mercy and forgiveness, well, just go to the Lord's Prayer, and here you find that Christians are to pray. In 1 John chapter 2, 1, we are told that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and we are to cry to him every day, for the cleansing power. Good reason to pray, because we need to claim the cleansing power of Jesus' precious blood. Well, here we end our few thoughts today on prayer, and we move to our message, and we hope that you'll stay tuned with us right through the program as we move now to First Peter chapter 3 on true Christian unity and love. In Romans twelve fifteen, we are called upon to weep one with those that weep, and rejoice with those that rejoice. And this is the command to have compassion one with another. This word compassion has two ideas. It means group and passion, feeling, united feelings. Now, when you are burdened, weeping, reduced to tears, we can weep with you. When you rejoice, we can rejoice with you. This is the genuine caring spirit of God's people in the Christian church. Now, this is all the more important in a hostile world because this is our witness. This is our profession before the world that doesn't understand the gospel and refuses to listen to the gospel. And when we exercise this 
godly participation of caring and entering into the burdens of our fellow Christians, and we become an encouragement and a helper to those in time of need, then others say, hey, there's something to this. This is not just empty words. This is reality. This is Christian. Now, we endeavor to do this in the prayer meetings of our church. Uh, that's one reason why we work our way through the directory of our congregation, and we take approximately a page per prayer meeting these, these weeks, and we invite people on that evening that we're looking at that family to, to highlight their prayer requests and their needs and their burdens. And from what we know of each family, we try to uphold them in prayer. And this way, we engage in this ministry of compassion, of sharing and caring in the things of God. And that's why the prayer meeting of the church has often been called and referred to as the heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of the congregation. It's where you get to know the real needs of God's people and the real burdens of the pastor, the real burdens of all that are engaged in various aspects of God's work. Without participation there, I don't know how you can fulfill this command, having compassion one of another. Now, I want to move to the third maxim that is given here, and that is love as brethren. Love as brethren. This is a big one. This is a big one. And I have to say, I found some help in this from uh, Dr. John Brown of Edinburgh. He is a 19th century theologian, preacher in Scotland, and uh, it was actually the Reverend Wagner that uh, put me on to his work on First Peter. It's been a great help. And uh, in this uh, exhortation here of brotherly love, uh, there's a whole list of helps for us. Firstly, Philadelphos. Uh, that's the word here. Just one word in the Greek language. Philadelphos. One word. Brotherly love. It's a great, a great word, but it's a better blessing in the lives of God's people. And we would all want to be in a church that is exercising brotherly love. I don't think we would want to be in a church where it is absent completely. We, we want and desire that brotherly love. Notice also that it's a command. It's not something that's all, uh, given as an alternative. It's not an option. Love as Brethren, This is something that we must do. It's a family obligation as brethren, as brothers, members of the same family. You are called upon to love. Can you imagine an orphan boy that is adopted into a family, but he will not love the other members of the family? When I was uh, about 10 years old, uh, my mother and father took in this young lad that came from a troubled home, and because we had a farm and there was general work to do and so on, uh, 
my mum and dad were asked by the local social services if they would give him room and board and give him some work to do and just try and encourage the young fellow. And I have some scary memories of that uh, because he continually got himself in trouble and then he disappeared. He just vanished. I never saw him again. But he, he didn't enter in to family life. He just went away and shut himself in the room. He didn't want to talk, didn't want to get involved in the family. And then, of course, on the farm, he didn't want to work. Well, if you knew my dad, that wasn't going to work. That wasn't going to be a happy experience. And then one day he just took off. He was gone. And the social services, they found him, but he never came back. Can you imagine that if Christians were like that in God's family in the Christian church? Just sulk, won't talk, won't enter into the normal activities, hive away. So this is a command. This is something we must do, every one of us. Love as brethren. Now, how do you obey this command? Well, let's think about what brothers ought to do. Brothers are partakers, firstly, of the same nature. Uh, they come from the same stock, father and mother. And therefore, they will have strong relations. And it is a part of my very nature to love my brother. I have a brother who's three years older than me, and uh, we don't talk a lot, but I care about him. I uh, can earnestly say that I, I, I want to see him. I want to encourage him. I want to be a helper to him. I have a definite interest in him. And if we were much closer, we would spend a lot more time together, I'm sure. That's what brothers do. They have an automatic interest in one another. Now, when we were teenagers, uh, there were some days you would wonder. But overall, and as we go on in life, that, that genuine interest is there. Now, when you are born into the family of God, and you are born of the Spirit, you are a Christian, you are born, and you pray to the same Heavenly Father, there is, by grace, a new nature and a natural desire for your fellow believer in the Lord Jesus. Brothers are taught to love one another. Uh, growing up in the home, mom and dad, they will always guide their children uh, that they are to not fight and hurt and disturb and annoy, but love. Go and kiss your brother. Make up. Put away those little petty problems and realize how good it is to be friends. And you want your, uh, your children to be the best friends. Our Heavenly Father pleads with us. And in those things that disturb us and cause us to disagree, uh, we're to put them away. And we are to love as brethren. Also, the love of a true brother is genuine to bless and do good. It's a strange brother who sets out to really destroy his own flesh and blood. It's a strange brother that will do that. It's one that's not natural. 
And likewise, amongst God's people, where we are born of the Spirit, uh, there will be a real genuine desire to be a blessing, to bless, to strengthen, which leads us to come along to someone and say, how can I strengthen you? Can I pray for you? I notice you coming, and I want you to feel part of things. So this is the natural response. Love as brethren. And just as it's very pleasing to father and mother in a home as they see their children getting along, encouraging one another, helping them out of their little troubles, and when you observe that as a parent, it's pleasing. And I can assure you that brotherly love brings pleasure to our Heavenly Father. And as we lift up and encourage our brethren, our sisters in Christ, our Father is likewise pleased and blessed. Also, the love of a true brother produces forbearance. I'm going to use Joseph now as an example. Joseph, well, he got short shift from his brothers. From day one, it would seem. I'm not sure that uh, Jacob handled things very carefully in giving to Joseph uh, a coat of many colors, which made his brothers jealous. And they had it in for Joseph all along until they threw him in the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites and sent him down to Egypt. And then they deceived their father. Uh, all of that was a long-term hurt. And, but you know how the events turned around and when those brothers were standing before Joseph as the prime minister of all Egypt. And those brothers were trembling in his presence. And Joseph said, fear not. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There is the spirit of brotherhood. There is that forbearance and that forgiveness uh, that ought to be in the heart of God's children. You see, a true brother keeps problems and differences within the family. That's what Joseph did. And he forgave his brothers very readily. One more thought. A true brother appeals to his father for help and grace to bear the trial. That's the mark of a true member of the family. And so a Christian will work for the good. He'll not seek to bring down, but he will seek to avoid the shame Charity covereth all those things. And of course, he will work for restoration. That's the mark of a true brother in the family of God. And so I've come to the end of the, the whole exercise here. Finally, be ye all of one mind. There's Christian unity. It begins in the mind. Having compassion. What's in your mind leads to your feelings. How you respond. If you love the same things that I love, we'll respond the same way. If you hate the same things that I hate, we will put a guard up against those things in the same way. And we'll set ourselves against them. And then if we love as brethren, if we take this as our Heavenly Father's command, 
what brotherly love will flow from that very exercise. Now, I thought on those uh, verses in 1 John, and I want to read them to you. 1 John 2, verse 9, first of all. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. He that hateth his brother is in the darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. And then chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we are, have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now, I hope you can remember when that happened in your experience. I can vividly remember that in mine. I can vividly remember before I was a Christian uh, and really never knew many Christians, never really knew many people that were living out and out for the Lord. And when I was in their company, I was uneasy. It was intimidating as an unconverted sinner to come into contact with these people who didn't use bad words, who you could see there was a difference in the way they very interacted. There was a joyfulness. There was a happiness. But once I was saved, I was at home. I was one with them. And as I've told you obtain times, when my aunt, who's in whose company I was the next day after my conversion, her language abhorred me. Immediately, I knew the difference in company. This is an amazing proof of the power of the gospel to convert the human heart. We love sin. We love the people who do sin. And then when we are delivered from that and our affections are changed and set upon the grace of God, we no longer love sin, and we no longer want to be in the company. We don't want to be encouraging those that are enjoying sin. What a change. And that's what Peter brings out right here. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, he's in spiritual death. He's never been converted, never been born again, if he enjoys tearing down a Christian. There's another verse, chapter 4, verse 20. It's similar, but you'll just notice the emphasis of it. If any man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And as we come here to God's house to worship the Lord, as we come to sing, to pray, and to preach, we also come to demonstrate publicly and one-to-one -one with each other. You're my brother. This is where I want to be. This is the people I want to have as my friends. And I want to exercise this brotherly love in the spirit and the very grace of the gospel. Christian unity. It's had a bad rap over the years. In some areas, there hasn't been very much of it. And then there's another kind of false Christian unity where people are trying to join up with Roman Catholicism and ecumenism and apostates of all kind to try and bring back the various branches of the Christian church, even though they're broken off and diseased and carnal and wicked. Uh, that's a false Christian unity. 
But you can see here, there's a true Christian unity that you and I must work at. I must endeavor as a pastor to work at this. I must not do anything that will be contrary to the harmony of God's work, unless it is taking a stand for truth. I must not offend needlessly, causelessly, offend a brother or sister. Better to do nothing than offend. I must encourage, hold up, lift up, pray for, and strengthen the hand of fellow believers. I assure you, you have done that tonight by coming and being a part of the service. Your coming has not been in vain at all. Your very presence, your very uh, voice in singing, your entering into prayer and worship here tonight uh, is all a part of this brotherly love. Empty seats grieve us. And when your seat is empty, that discourages God's people. When we hear your voice in prayer, as by times most here I do, I rejoice. What an encouragement. And when you take up those prayer requests and prayer needs, you are exercising brotherly love. You're fulfilling the command to love as brethren. Now, there's a few others left in this quite lengthy list here. Uh, we'll return to this next week. May the Lord uh, work in us these very things. They're important. They're, they're absolutely important. If you cannot fulfill this command, how can you be a blessing in God's work to God's people? I have to ask the same question of myself. If I cannot be of one mind with my brethren, if I cannot exercise and demonstrate the feelings of loving things that are Christian and hating things that are ungodly and exercising sympathy, true compassion with my brethren, and then love us, brethren. Love, love. It's not wimpy. It's a manly thing. It's a Christian thing. It's Christ-like. Show shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. It is a great privilege day by day to bring the message of the gospel wherever you are. And make sure you tune in each day, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., also Sundays, 10 a.m. for our church broadcast. Let me invite you to check in on your computer to our website and to our live church services on webcast, Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Yes, on your own computer, you can check into our website Go to Live Now, and you will join our church service. And I encourage you to do that any Sunday, 10.30 and 6 p.m., just at those times while our church service are on. So thank you for tuning in with us, and may the Lord bless you today through His Word. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 187 Avenue, Surrey at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. On our website you can find gospel articles, 
links to our sermons and our gospel booklet called A New Beginning. There you can find a link to our Sunday services that are broadcast online. For all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of his precious word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer at 7.30pm every Wednesday evening. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day from September to June at 9.30am. You can contact us using our office number which is 604-576-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please go to our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will lead you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. And this is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. on this station for our full or church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.